our study on the Revelation. Um, you may have studied this before. There's a lot of people who spend their uh, some people spend all of their time studying the Revelation and they forget that there's like 66 books in the Bible. Uh, and so you've probably been around different things as, and heard different people have different views on it. And so uh, we are going to study it over several weeks and we're going to walk through like we generally do chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Um, I, I think one of the things just to keep in mind as you uh, do study it is uh, sometimes for us, when we read the Revelation, we say, well, this doesn't look like the rest of the Bible. It's kind of odd. And we think that it's something uh, something that no one else has ever uh, uh, written that way or it's like specific just to the Bible. I think it is important to understand that in this time period when this was written, it was common for people uh, to have uh, there was a lot of apocalyptic literature going around. It was actually popular from like 200 B.C. to 150 A.D. And so it was something that people did read in that time period. And so I think it is important for us to realize that it, it's not something that is uh, uh, just new to the Bible. It's something that people uh, read and it was common in that time. It will help us as we move forward. And we'll talk about that in more detail. Um, I think also just it is important for us to say and because there is so much writing on it and so much talk about it. And there are some people that will read the revelation and they they read the news and they try to merge those together and make sense of everything that's happening in the world right now. And people have been doing that for a long, long time. And I think it's important for us as we read it uh, to, to live by a principle you probably had when you studied the Bible in other places. And, and that is that um, you want to get to the, uh, understand what the original audience would understand when they read it. And uh, uh, one man said it this way. Uh, the revelation does not mean to us what it did not mean to them. And I think that's a helpful principle as you're studying the book of Revelation. You have to think. What are these initial readers whose John is writing to? What are they thinking when they read this, when they are, are, are hearing this for the first time, potentially? Uh, I remember um, at one time I had a friend said that they told me, he came up to me and said, man, I've been really interested in the Bible lately. I've been reading the book of Revelation. I've, I'd heard that before. And then he said, and I just, uh, I've been studying it, and I've got some books to help me. And I said, really, that's interesting. And it was like the Left Behind series, and, you know, he'd been watching the movies. And I was like, oh, man. You know, I was a little disappointed. But, I mean, that was his uh, study manual, I guess. And so some of you may have been there at some point, but we're not going to use the Left Behind series as our uh, study material. Now, the other thing just uh, to note is, it just in reading, because we're doing a little bit of introductory uh, stuff, the Old Testament is mentioned countless times in Revelation and alluded to. So the deal is, is like you really want to know your Old Testament. You want to read the Old Testament well, and it will help you understand the Revelation. It's very, very important. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of allusions to what is going on in the Revelation is in the Old Testament. And so sometimes I think people read it and they think, this is what they do. Instead of looking back to the Old Testament, they look into the future, uh, their future, kind of the, in the present. You know, so so I think we need to do that, and we need to try to do that very well. Now, this morning, we're looking at chapter one, verses one through eight, and we see that God reveals Himself so that those who know Him will be blessed and will praise Him regardless of the circumstances. 
That's something you need to know. When we study this and you're working through it, these people are enduring great trials. John is living, and we'll look at that next week more, he's living, uh, he's exiled. And so in their minds, as they're watching everything unfold, they're thinking like, we're a part of a kingdom that's crumbling. And we're part of a kingdom where all hope is lost. And John is going to help them think through and think very clearly so that they can praise and worship and honor God when all of the... And, and that's just something for us to think about. When you think society is crumbling around you, what do you do? Well, what did the first century do? What did God give to the first century people so that they would be established and stand firm in the face of trouble all around them? And I think that's one way for you to read Revelation in order for you not to have a chart when you're done, but for you to glorify and honor and praise God in more full ways because of what you learn here. So I think that's important for us. And so I I hope that you will see that as we move forward. Now, let's go to chapter one, verse one. We start here with a blessing in verses one through three. And really, this verse one in this first portion, the revelation of Jesus Christ is a summary of this whole book. And you notice it is not plural. It's not revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation. Listen, it is meant to be understood. This is not hiding things from you, but rather revealing to you the things that must soon take place, as it says. It's an unveiling. It really, there is one major theme. If you Sometimes we get lost in it, but there's one major theme. It is God's plan to save His people through Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the very end of this, in Revelation 1 we see this, but at the end, in Revelation 22, 6, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. Again, he is revealing to them. He is wanting them to understand. He is not trying to leave them in the dark, but rather to open up their eyes so that they can see. So, so here's the thing. We see this. The revelation reveals to us what God is going to do between the first and second coming of Christ. Some people read the revelation and they say what God is going to, to, to do uh, from my point on. It, it really is, we have to say, between the first and second coming. The revelation addresses that time that we live in. It is the revelation for us right now. Now. What's interesting, too, is it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there's this kind of picture here where you're saying it is not just that Jesus is giving a revelation, but he is also revealing himself. It is the revelation. It's unveiling for you the Christ so that you can see him in more fullness. There's something you're going to see as you're moving through this. In verse five, even today, you'll see that he loves us. In verse 6, He's worthy of praise. In verse 7, He is coming. In verses 13 through 20, He is the Son of Man. In chapters 2 and 3, He observes the church. In chapter 5, He opens the scroll of destiny for all of humanity. All that's going to take place, He opens that up. In chapter 6, He inaugurates judgment. That means He is judging 
the earth. In chapter 12, he defeats the dragon. In chapter 19, he is king of kings and lord of lords. In chapter 21 and 22, he's the new Adam ushering in the new age. All of that is saying we are revealing him. And this is very important. If you have read the Revelation in the past and you've been in a study and what you did was you ended up with a bunch of charts rather than Christ... You probably did not study the revelation well. Does that make sense? It is not so that you can figure out all these things and and write them and draw them all out like a madman with a little. It's not that. It is so that you will see him so that you will you will stay the course and you'll know him for who he is so that you'll grasp in, in the fullness of uh, that, that God has has given us about the Christ who 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 came and who will come again so it's very important i think that we see and get a vision of him now you notice as we move forward which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place so it's, it's not only, again, revealing Jesus, but it's also revealing what must soon take place. Again, in my opinion, between the first and second coming of Christ. You'll see here as you're moving forward uh, that, that he, he's, he's, as he reveals these things, he's revealing it to these servants. These are the seven churches under great difficulty. And he's giving them this to encourage them. They need to know that God is on the throne, that evil will be punished and is being punished, and that the future, Christ will set up his kingdom and they will dwell with him forever. They need that kind of vision. And you do. You need that vision. We need to see these things and understand them. And you've got to think in your mind, if you were sitting there and you're hearing this for the first time and someone in your family had just been killed for the faith or someone in your family uh, had walked away because of fear and you're sitting there going, how am I going to make it? And your family had maybe even left you because of your, your walking with Christ. And in the midst of that, in those dark nights, they could reflect on what the truth is about God's plan for history and how they fit into it. It's very, very important for us to see that. Notice also, he says, what will happen soon it is not that John's confused. It's that it is the revelation for now. A lot of people just read the revelation and say it's all about the future and these last few times, this small little window. No, it is for now. It was for them to read then, to understand, to comprehend. And I think we have to see as we move through that those events, those things are taking place, many of them in the present Many of them have already taken place at some level. And we're watching this unfold, this drama unfold between the first and second coming. Now, I want you to hold your place in the Bible and turn to Daniel, if you can, quickly. Or if not, that's okay. We're just going to read one little portion of Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. Just on the last part of that, there's a place there where... Where really, I think John picks up Daniel. And he's in, and God says to him, what will be, you'll notice that in the latter days. You see that? 
It may, your version may not say it just but in the last days. He's saying what will be. But if you'll notice when John and you can like flip there, you're kind of thinking on that. I just wanted you to see it. Now flip back to the revelation. You'll see what must soon take place. John picks up what and, and really John's I mean, uh, uh, Daniel's writings are going to be picked up in Revelation all the way through. And so he's saying what must soon take place. John is saying, this is something for now. This is something where Daniel was speaking of the future and we are speaking of the now in this particular passage. This gets into something I think that's very, very, very important. And I just want you to kind of see it. So in Revelation 22, 6, you could turn there real quick. And he says to his servants, what must soon take place and in Revelation twenty two ten, he says, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. If you remember with Daniel, God told him to seal it up with with John. He says, open it up. It's very important. If you're going to understand this book, you have to grasp that, that he is revealing something that they were to see right then and to understand and to grasp. It was for the church. It's for the church all of the church from the first century onward. Now, you keep moving here. It says, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So we see that God gave the revelation to Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gave it to the angel. The angel gives it to John and John is going to give it to us. That's how it was transmitted in verse two, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. There, there is this kind of thing. It's like this is this is God's word. It is God's word to us. And we should when we hear it, there's a seriousness about it. We don't just kind of look past it and say, oh, that's no big deal. Or I don't understand or I don't want to think about that. It is something we must listen to. Notice what we see in verse 3. Here's where you kind of get into that blessing. I said verse 1 through 3 is kind of a blessing here. This is where you get there. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Again, it is near. It is here. They're to be reading this now at that moment. They're to understand it and grasp it. Right now, blessed will be blessed be the one who reads aloud and those who hear and keep what is written in it. You think about, you know, sometimes I think and I do this, too. You ever sat in church and you you heard uh, maybe they read the scriptures. Hopefully they read the scriptures. And as they read the scripture, you were not very present and you almost like. It was just one of those Sundays you're not thinking and you're not in, in tune. And you think that there's a danger there. They're, 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 the opposite of being blessed is to be cursed. Cursed are those who do not listen and who do not obey. But instead here he's saying blessed are those who do who receive it. And this has the idea of a corporate setting where the word of God is, you know, and some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't go to church. You know, that kind of thing. You're like, what is that? What is that? That, 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 that does not tie in very well with the Bible. That I'm not connected to a local 
church. So they are gathering, they're gathering, and, and really, I think probably, uh, as you'll see throughout, the, he'll even speak of the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. They will gather, the word will be spoken, the people will receive it and obey it. And that's the deal, again, with the revelation. You might say, well, I think the revelation is all future, and it doesn't really, there's not much to do with that. They are holding on to that. Not only are they taking that into their heart and pondering those truths, but they're walking in obedience to what they learn. It's a very practical book for them in the present as they are struggling and with great struggle. So here's the thing. We, we are to give ourselves to that. So uh, this is one quote that really helped me. The church or the chief emphasis of the last things is not chronological, not to chart out what will happen, but it is to give it, it is given so that we might live for Jesus right now so that we we will hear this book and persevere to the end in faithful allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's that's what we're wanting to do. That's what we are left with here. So you want to be blessed. You hear these words, you take them in and you walk in obedience to them. That is the call upon us as we sit down before it. And John makes that very clear. You want to be blessed. Follow the teaching here. Now, verses 4 through 8 are like a doxology. It's a praise to God. It's a praise to God. It's really kind of how are we going to be able to experience the blessing and persevere to the end? What is going to strengthen us for this journey? This journey that has many troubles many difficulties, many tribulations and trials. What will keep the people of God to the end? And what we'll see is the triune God will keep us. Now, let's move forward. Verse 4 is John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. Have you ever seen that before? Yes, you've seen it. You've seen it all over the New Testament where you see that greeting, grace to you and peace. And sometimes if you're like me, you just move on to the next thing because you don't think about that for a moment. But here it's something of where he is going to build a case. He's going to say grace to you and peace. And then he's going to talk about how the grace to you and peace is given to you. So let's just think back where we've been. We know this is the revelation of Jesus Christ of the things that must soon take place. We know that those who listen and receive this and hear it and obey the teaching in it, they will be blessed. Now you ask a question like, how in the world is someone going to be able to be faithful to the end in the face of struggle and difficulty? How will they do that? It's because of grace and peace that's given to them. So that's kind of where we're moving into here. Now notice what it says. From him who is and who was and who is to come. This is the idea, and you're going to see this, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit here. Really, it's going to be Father, Spirit, Son. And what we're going to see is that grace and peace comes from the triune God. It starts with the Father here, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Father is the eternal Lord of the universe. He is the one who reigns over all. And you'll see here, notice in that description, you would say, who was, who is, and who is to come. But he says, who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, I think the emphasis here is that he is the eternal father of the universe, and he's present now. 
The eternal Father is present with us right now. He is dwelling among His people now. He is watching over them right now. How will they persevere is because God the Father will never leave them or forsake them. He is now it's present with them and He always will be. The one who is and who was and who is to come. The second, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Now you might look at that and go, are there seven spirits? I thought there was one spirit. I mean, what's going on there? Again, apocalyptic imagery. You're not saying, oh, there's one spirit, two spirit, three spirit. You're not doing that. It's apocalyptic. You don't add one plus one always there. What you're, it's, it's fullness. It's the idea of completeness. After God did all of His creating on the seventh day, He rested because it was complete. It was full. It was done. It's the picture of the fullness of the Spirit. And not only that, what we're going to see as you get to the end of chapter 1 about the, the, the seven golden lampstands. There are the seven churches. And so the idea here is the Spirit is among the seven churches. It's this picture for us to see His presence among the church. Equally distributed among the church. His, his fullness. His, uh, it's Him. He is present everywhere. And, and that, that's something for the church to see. Not only is the Father eternally present, the Spirit is dwelling among the people of God in fullness. He is there. He's keeping them. He's watching over. He's undergirding them. He's empowering them from the seven spirits before His throne. Now, This is an allusion to Zechariah chapter 4. You turn back, we're not going to, but if you turn back there, you would see in Zechariah chapter 4 that Zechariah, when the people come back and they're really struggling and they come back from Babylon and they're just broke down and they're they're really like have no hope in the world and and they're wondering what they're going to do, Zechariah has this vision and he has a vision of a golden lamp. And, and it, it, you see, it, it really that stands with seven. There's kind of like seven lamps on it, or lamps stand with seven lamps on it. And what you see there is that in that that vision that Zechariah has, he wants to understand it, and this is what he understands out. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by military might. It's not by political power, but by my spirit. And so he says, grace to you in peace. The father is there. The spirit is there. And then as you keep moving forward and from Jesus Christ, the Trinity empowering God's people in the present. He's he's revealing that. Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, is saved for last because I think the revelation, ultimately, you're saying it is is revealing Him in His fullness. There are three names given to Him, or three descriptions of Him. Again, taken from Psalm 89, which is taken from 2 Samuel 7. And I just say that because I want you to understand He's building this case And helping you understand what's taking place. He calls Jesus the faithful witness. John says in his gospel, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He made Him known. 
He is the witness of God. He is the faithful witness. He's called the faithful son, the one who fully reveals the father. He's the firstborn from the dead. Daniel 12 speaks of the firstborn. And here we see Jesus is the firstborn. The firstborn, listen, when I hear firstborn, I think that there's probably some coming after him. You say, oh, that means he's a firstborn and there's going to be a bunch of kids coming after that. What does that do for you? What does that do for a church struggling? What, what does that do for a church that have seen people die in their midst? Who've been through great travail and struggle. They say Jesus is the firstborn from the dead and he's got many people following him. They too will be raised. Not only that, it shows his preeminence. He is over all. The firstborn has authority. Colossians 1.18 speaks of that. And third, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. So listen, in Jesus' life, as he is living on this earth, he is the faithful witness. He displays who God is. And then Jesus is crucified as the ultimate faithful witness. And then he's raised victorious over the grave. And then he is seated far above all rule and authority. He is king over all. And so a church that's struggling says God is eternally, the Father is eternally present. The Spirit is dwelling in our midst. The Son, He reigns over everything. He suffered, He was raised, and He is seated far above rule and authority. And guess what? We are suffering, we will be raised, and we will be seated with Him. Do you see that? Does that build confidence for you? Would that build confidence if you thought that your life was going to be snuffed out at any moment? Does that give you some kind of hope? Or does it now? In this moment, when you face all kinds of struggles, let me ask you this. Why didn't John preach seven ways to in, in, like, enhance intimacy in your marriage? Five steps to make your children healthy, wealthy, and wise. Seventeen ways to like, lead in the business world. Why, why does he not do that? Why, why is he not doing that? Because they need something that will grip them. Something that will help them stand firm. Something that is substantive. Something that lasts eternally. They need a vision that goes beyond something that you could get at Walgreens. Out of a little card section. They need something more. And you do too. And the church does. And this church does. And the churches across the country need more than that. Notice what else you see. To him who loves us. You move from seeing the triune God to three things that you'll see about Jesus and his accomplishments for us. Let me ask you, thinking back to that early church, if you were sitting there facing that, would you feel loved? Let me ask you this. When do you feel unloved by God? Have you ever felt like, man, God, I just don't know if He loves me. He cares about me. Why, when do we feel that? 
We often, when we're facing trials, you think, does God love us? Does God love me? When you're watching things around you go so horribly, if it, not only we might say, well, we're, none of us are fearful of being beaten or killed, but you might be watching things around you that may be worse than a beating. Have you ever faced something worse than being killed? Have you ever wished you would have died rather than experience what you experienced? What do you do in that moment? Where you wish and you say, well, I don't know if that. But, but even like last week, there may have been things where you just thought, maybe I don't want to die. But I just think, why does God care about me? Does God love me? He says to him who loves us. That is present in the present. He loves us. It's so important for you to get that. I'm always reminded of that great theologian who said, they asked him, what's the greatest truth you ever learned? And he said, the, the, the truth I learned on my mom's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the greatest truth I've ever learned. He loves us. And you move into that and you think about that just for a moment. It's very, very powerful. Now, the next two points prove it. And has freed us from our sins by His blood. Jesus Christ came to set us free from our sins. We were in bondage. We were, in, in a way, it's, it's a slave market picture. Enchained to our sin and guilty of all that was that, that, that we deserved all that we had. And we were there as guilty sinners enchained to our sins. And Jesus comes and rescues us. He doesn't do it by like the way we would think like somebody would come in, they would slide in there, you know, and, and, and break the chains and then we'd all run out together and be like, yes, and I love you for, you know. No, he goes in and dies for us. We were condemned criminals on, on, really on death roll. And he, he comes and rescues us, us by putting himself on the cross. This, this is like taking, listen, the gospel is for the Christian. Did you know that? Like the Christian needs to hear the gospel as much as the lost man needs to hear the gospel because the gospel for the Christian continues to help them understand the weightiness of what it means to be rescued. It helps them in the face of difficulty to know I'm saved. It helps me to understand my sins have been forgiven. When the Christian sins, he needs the gospel to say my salvation is not based upon me, but upon what Christ did for me. He saves us. He saved us. He freed us. He did it. Salvation is not man. Man does not save himself, but rather Christ saved us. He set us free by dying on the cross so that we would not have to do that. Second thing, and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. Again, this picture here is that he's not just saving us and setting us on the sidelines. That, that's a beautiful thing for you to understand. He does not save us so that you could like kind of like and people do this. Sometimes you'll hear them say, oh, I got saved. And then they're not serving the Lord. He saved you so that you could serve him. But, but here's the deal. One that's truly been saved wants to serve him. 
They long to be serving Him. So He doesn't save you and say, you're a worthless wretch, but I rescued you. Now go your own way. He puts them in the place. He puts them in with Him in the temple. They're serving with God. They're in the presence of God is the picture here. They are a kingdom and priest to His God and Father. Meaning they have access to God. They're reconciled to Him. That, that picture should remind you of the Garden of Eden where people are walking with God and dwelling with Him. That's the picture there. So you're not just rescued and kind of sat to the side and say, that dirty person, just set them over. No, he rescues you and places you in the palace and places you in the temple. Okay, now here's the thing. Do you think that early group felt like that? Think they felt like that? I don't think so. They were looking at the situation and everyone around them hated them. They were in great trouble. This guy that's writing this is in exile. So in the midst of that, go back, think about where we've been. The revelation of Jesus Christ that John is going to make known. This revelation is something that those who hear it and believe it and hold fast to it, they will be blessed Walk in, in, in obedience to it. They will be blessed. Then you're kind of asking the question of like, how in the world, in the face of great difficulty and trouble, how are we going to stand firm? And he says, listen, here's the good news. This is the good news. The Father is present with you. The Spirit dwells in your midst. The Son has saved you. And He has placed you in the kingdom. And you're in the palace dwelling there. And you're in the temple ministering there. And you get the opportunity to do that. This is, this is where the gospel comes in. So somebody might say, Revelation is about standing firm to the end in your own power. No. The gospel message is that powerless people are given the power to do so. He came to rescue us and save us from our sins and then empower us to live differently. That, that's the good news. He will keep us to the end. Then he says to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, does that you think that would cause your heart to worship? If you believed what we just talked about, Will it cause your heart to soar in worship? Where's the charts, man? Is that all you're asking? Where's the charts? And I'll say, no. It's not about your chart. It is about the praise and honor and glory of the one true and living God who has rescued us and empowered us to be a part of His family, to be in His kingdom. Verse 7. Behold, He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. Now again, we just don't have time to work through all this, but this is a quotation both from Daniel 7 and Zechariah 12. And in this quotation, you're seeing they're bringing together the, these people who are, are, have been... It, really, the idea here is Israel has been saved and rescued and they're being reminded of God's... Uh, it's kind of like they're repenting over the way that they've pierced the Lord. But, but, but I think it's just important that you see here this idea that He's going to return. 
That, that's what he, for these people in the face of that trouble, it's like they can say, okay, I get, I get, I get, I get what you've said so far. And then he says, he's coming back. He's coming back. Do you understand? He is coming back. He will return. And He is going to judge all of His enemies. And He's going to rescue His people. He is going to return. And He is going to accomplish that. You should be encouraged. There is an element where you say, you better be on the right side. We should say that. When you stand before the one who, who, who was crucified, buried, rose again, went into heaven and came back down. And when you stand before him who's coming down, he is coming down as, as, as Lord of the universe and he will judge the wicked and he brings the righteous into his family and sets up a kingdom for them. And so what I say to you today, you'd better be on the right side, meaning come to Christ now, trust in him now, hope in him now so that in the the future you will not be among those who are judged by him and and completely and utterly uh, destroyed and sent in hell forever come to him now verse 8 i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come the almighty this is a way of saying repeating what we've seen before that it will come to pass it will this revelation is coming and it's, it's being revealed. It's been given by God and it's been passed down to us. And as we read it, we should understand it will come to pass. God will not lie. He will bring this to pass. So, let me ask you this morning. Are you walking with Christ? Do you know Him? Are you one who has read the truths of Scripture and you're trusting in Him and you're seeking to walk with Him? Are, are you, are you the, one of those people that would say, I am, am seeking with all my might by the grace He provides to, to, to follow Him all the days of my life? I've longed to do that. So, hold fast to these truths. Keep walking in that way. Or are you one who's maybe lived your whole life apart from Christ? Maybe you kind of have a form of religion, but you have never, ever trusted in Christ alone and his work on your behalf. Are you one in that situation where you don't look at these words today and your heart leaps with joy as you think about what Christ has done for us? If you are in that situation, I call to you today, repent and believe the gospel. Now, if you're a Christian here, one last thing. Will your worship be shaped by what you learned today? Will it be transformed? Will you have in great joy overflowing in your heart as you think about not only what God in Christ has done for you, but how you can serve him even today? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I just pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to understand the wonder of your salvation presented to us in this wonderful word, this powerful word. Lord, we know that all these things will come to pass, that you have said it and you will make sure of it. So we pray that we would respond rightly to it. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.